if you ever heard this song, you hear it most at a funeral. But Fanny Crosby never designed the song to be a funeral song. It, it talks, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm, I'm glad that I can celebrate a saint's homegoing celebration, and we can stand there at a casket and, and mourn the loss of friends and family, but understand that they have crossed into a a, a, a reward, but this song is not designed to be a funeral song. It's not a song that you sing at the end of someone's life. You need to follow through with what the first verse says, keep me near the cross. It's not a song that you sing at the end and hope you find it at your last breath. It's far better to stay near the cross from the moment of your salvation till the day God calls you home not to try to run back and find it as you take your last breath and hope that somehow you'll make it all too often that doesn't happen for every deathbed confession and I have seen some and been privy to some and it's a powerful thing but for every deathbed confession there are countless thousands of others that never make it back but oh to the one that stays near the cross Jesus keep me near the cross there a precious fountain it's free to all a healing stream it flows from Calvary's fountain. Would you lift your hands across this place? And would you just worship him for a moment? Would you just love him for a second? <laughs> Lord, there's a lot of things that I give you thanks for. There's a lot of things that cause me pause to worship you, but God, the one that's nearest to me is the cross. It's the center. It's the pinnacle of my life with you. It's the pivotal place where sin is erased and salvation procured and sanctification started. It's the cross, and I can't forget the cross. In Jesus' name, would you be seated for just a moment? I find it interesting. You're just going to have to let me kind of walk a little bit. I, uh, To be honest, I, I was going to go a different route this morning, and I had it all kind of ready. I went and saw Sister Sorrels last night in the hospital, and she asked me, as she is prone to do, she said, what are you preaching Sunday morning? I looked at her, I said, I'm not quite for sure. I'm still thinking. And, and I, I led her through the sermon that most likely I'll preach tonight, but it's what I was going to preach this morning. I, I, I walked her through it, and she got excited because she loves the Word. But on the way home, I began to sing that song. I don't know why it came to mind, not really sure. I wasn't listening to anything that brought it, but I began to sing that song, and my mind began to walk through some places in the Old Testament. So just let me uh, kind of walk you through what God walked me through last night. 
I've told you this story before. Um, I, I tried. I texted Brother Blunt, who uh, is here now in the St. Louis area, a retired pastor and retired missionary. Uh, they, they for, for years and years, were uh, there in the South Pacific. They first went to Samoa, an American Samoa, and then uh, eventually they spread to Tonga and different ones. And back in 2009, my wife and I were blessed to go to Tonga, and we spent two weeks over there. It was an incredible moment, incredible time. And I've, I've told many of you this story, but uh, one of the, the, the days or nights after one of the services, we gathered into a, a little room off of the kind of the main church there. It, nothing crazy. It's a, a very kind of a poor area. It's an island, so everything they have either has to be grown on the island or brought in. And uh, so we're sitting there in a little room, and some of the families uh, of the church had uh, fixed food for my wife and I and for the missionaries. And uh, I think Brother and Sister Howell were there during that time uh, at that, that certain place. And we were eating, and some of the board members of the, of the island of Tonga were there. And uh, one of the ladies that was cooking was the head cook for the king of Tonga. And so we got to eat some pretty amazing food because it's what they would feed the king of Tonga. It's probably not what most of them got to eat on a regular basis. They ate a lot of taro and a lot of... Uh, things that look like potatoes and roots and uh, they can make uh, things but on the table much to my wife's chagrin but I was really excited about it I was a little pig perfectly roasted it was about this big nothing nothing crazy nothing big and I was excited my wife was horrified because it had a face on it and uh, we began to eat the pig and, and we were talking and having a blast and there was a little, I want to say he was eight years old. That's what I remember. I tried to ask Brother Blunt last night what his name was and I haven't got a response back yet, but a little eight-year-old boy or, or so, young kid, uh, was, was hovering around my wife and I. And of course, we had done some children's services, so I figured that was the connection until he leaned in and his mom got kind of mad, but he leaned in and he said to my wife and I, he said, hey, that's my pig. My wife, the stoic that she is, said, what? He said, that's my pig. I raised it, and I wanted to give it to the missionary. Yeah, that's about the response my wife had. She couldn't eat any more of this poor boy's pig. Tears began to flow. But, but that boy didn't say it because he was sad. The boy didn't say that because he regretted the decision or, if you will, because his mom made him give it. The boy said, you know, I freely gave. It's my sacrifice. And I begin to walk through the word of God. You see in the book of Genesis, one of the first sacrifices that's at least recorded. I am quite confident there were sacrifices before that. Else, Cain and Abel would not have got to the place where they sacrificed. They had to have seen uh, Adam and Eve take part in sacrifices. But the first recorded sacrifice you find, the Bible says that Abel gave the first of his flock to the Lord. And, and God began to talk to me, and I find Abel taking a flock, uh, of the flock, taking a lamb that he had raised, that he had probably helped birth. It, was, it, it, it required something from Abel to give as a sacrifice. He had to be the one that killed the lamb that had up to this point looked at, at Abel as,
was uh, the provider of food and water. Go back and look at Psalms chapter 23 and look at all that the shepherds do. And now this lamb at the hand of the shepherd had to die. It cost able to do something. Noah, I'm sure sacrificed before the flood. But think about after the flood. The first thing that Noah does is gets off that ark after you think about how many days on the ark, how many months that went by, all of the years prior to that that he and his boys built the ark and the commandment of God was, I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood and only what's in the ark is going to remain and and you're going to have to take what is contained in the ark and that which is contained in the ark is going to populate the earth. So we say they took, you know, two of each kind, and they did. They also took seven of some animals, and uh, I understand. I'm not, I'm not naive. I know that some of those animals, they probably slaughtered during that time to provide them food, or it was for food. I get that, but in my mind it played out that the first thing after they get off the ark is he sacrifices to the Lord. Now, I'm probably reading way too much into this. I'm probably allowing uh, my imagination to run wild. But I have been a children's evangelist long enough, and we've done the story of Noah uh, before. And, and first thing, do you know how much an elephant messes when it's contained in a small area? Can you imagine the smell on the ark? Can you imagine the uh, what it went through? Can you imagine after being cooped up on the ark. I know there seems to not be children on the ark. They were adults, but still, I'm sure cabin fever set in. I'm sure that they were uh, close to kind of, you know, you see the cartoon. It's usually a cartoon where, you know, they're stranded out in the ocean and one of the cartoon characters looks at the other cartoon character and they turn into like a roast chicken. Have you ever seen that because they're hungry? Does anybody, I mean, I'm trying to paint a picture. I don't have it up there, but, you know, all of a sudden it's like, "Mm." I'm sure that was beginning to happen on the ark, but now Noah gets off and he sacrifices and perhaps just maybe his sons and daughters-in-law are bewildered to think that we have tried to keep these animals alive for all of this time so that we can repopulate the earth and the first thing you want to do when we get off the ark is sacrifice an animal and 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 give it up willingly and it costs you something to sacrifice maybe the only sacrifice that didn't cost if you will would be Abraham's sacrifice when he looked over and God provided a ram in the bush and and that wasn't a ram that Abraham had probably raised it wasn't a ram that Abraham had named and so Abraham got that and but but I promise you it still cost Abraham a lot in fact most of the gray hair on Abraham's head probably would have come from that whole experience I'm going to take my only son my only biological son with my wife and I'm going to leave my wife early in the morning and I'm going to walk him up a mountain and I'm going to kill him and I'm going to sacrifice him and again just to put it in can you imagine explaining to Sarah why Isaac didn't come home but it costs something Moses' law and Moses' sacrifices it costs them I I, I have written in my Bible and I I didn't fact check it there's really no way uh, if you will to fact check it but uh, one of our pastors, Tim Weatherwood, had said that from Genesis to Ezra, 
as best he could calculate, there was four billion gallons of blood spilled in the Old Testament sacrifices from Genesis to the book of Ezra. He went in, and, and according to him, he went and figured out how many sacrifices normally happened on a given day in the in the sac, in the in the in the uh, uh, the temple, and how many sacrifices are recorded in the Bible, and how many. Got to go look at Solomon's sacrifice. I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds of animals, and so he calculated four billion gallons of blood spilled all for our salvation in the Old Testament, if you will. It cost them something. And then all of a sudden, you enter into the New Testament. You enter into the Gospels. And the salvation costs you nothing. See, you have to understand, in the Old Testament, if you sin, there, there, were, two, there, were, there were two main types, and maybe three if you break up one of them. Uh, there, was, there was basically three, two or three main types of of sacrifices for sin. There was the atoning sacrifice, which happened one day a year, and they would take two goats. The, the, the priest would kill one of the goats, and, and the, the blood of that goat would be put on the other goat called the scapegoat, and that goat, all of the sins would be placed on that uh, symbolically on that scapegoat and they would lead that goat out into the wilderness as far as you could you could get it in hopes that goat would never find its way back and as long as Israel did this then God would hear and listen to their sacrifices so that was the atoning sacrifice it was a symbolic sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel once a year but then there were two other sacrifices one would have been a sacrifice for unintentional sin and the other would have been a sacrifice for intentional sin there were things uh, ceremonial and 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 commandments in 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 Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and perhaps someone would unintentionally touch a dead body or touch something unclean and and they would have sinned even though the Bible would say it's unintentional and and there would be a sacrifice you would have to bring a bull or a lamb and there were different if, depending on how much money you had and what you could afford it you had to bring something and you had to come to the priest and you had to say I've sinned unintentionally but I I didn't want I I, I accidentally touched a dead body I've sinned I'm I'm unclean and they would bring a sacrifice kill the sacrifice and it cost the worshiper something. If they sinned intentionally, they had to come. They had to bring a, a, a sacrifice. It had to be a sacrifice that they had uh, uh, put time and effort in. You could not bring a blemished sacrifice. You could not bring uh, one that was a runt of the litter. You couldn't bring the one that wasn't going to you know, ever get big. And, and, and so you bring it to God and you keep the fat one that you can eat later. It didn't happen that way. You had to make sure that it was okay. and You had to make sure no blemishes were on there. And it cost you something in the old testament but then in the new testament Jesus comes God himself manifesting in flesh saying I have come not just to be the priest of the new covenant not just to be the king of this new nation but I have come to be the sacrifice and Jesus willingly gave his life on the cross and it cost him everything and you you didn't bring it to the cross. You didn't bring it to, to uh, that, that need. And
And so I'm beginning to realize, if I could pull a little bit from Fanny Crosby's song, why the cross must be near to you and I. You go and look through the book of Acts. I've told you, and I, I don't say it in pride. I, I say it so that you understand that I believe what I teach, all right? Do as I do, if you will, not just as I say. In fact, the, uh, the other day, I think it was uh, Sister Carrie, I said something to Shaylin kind of funny and off the cuff, and Sister Carrie looked at me and she said, Shaylin, please don't do what Pastor does, just do what he says. Because I was probably instigating something in Shaylin. But, but I want you to know, I want you to do as I teach. And so I read every day a chapter in the book of Acts. I read it this morning when I got up. And when I look at the book of Acts, I read it now almost every month. I finish it. And when I read it, I'm struck that every sermon in the book of Acts dealt with the cross. I challenge you. Go back and look at it. Every sermon in the book of Acts, almost every sermon will take you from at least Abraham to the cross. I mean, when I read the book of Acts, I'm thinking they only had like one sermon manuscript, Brother Harold. Because it didn't matter if it was Peter, it didn't matter if it was Philip, it didn't matter if it was Paul or Apollo, it didn't matter. They all preached the same thing, which is probably why Paul said it best. I, I really just want to do one thing, I want to preach Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because he realized that central to our salvation has to be the cross. And the reason is the cross didn't cost you anything. And if it didn't cost you anything, sometimes it's easy for us not to remember it. My dad would get so mad at me because I had a habit of getting his tools out and leaving them outside. And he'd go find a rusted old wrench or a rusted old get so mad at me and he'd tell me he said, one day when you buy your own tools you won't leave them out and he was right because if it costs me something I tend to value it more when it doesn't cost me I tend to not value it and so you and I have a, a duty to the cross of Christ that because it didn't cost you anything you cannot forget its value we finished our foundations class last Wednesday we kind of had a celebration of those who finished it and I, I opened it up and just kind of took questions it was just a connection time of pastor and those that were in that class and uh, sister Ethel asked me this question and perhaps that's what in the back of my mind was on but you see the blood of Jesus Christ the cross it sealed the Old Testament and it seals the new have you thought about what the word testament really means? Why do they call it the Old Testament and the New Testament? Well, a testament, uh, maybe it would be better suited if I would use this phrase. Have you ever heard of somebody's last will and testament? It's a covenant. That's, what, that's why we call it the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament are the New Covenant. Those of you that were here when, when I preached uh, through the book of Hebrews, 
perhaps you would remember how I illustrated how the blood sealed the Old Testament. That as long as they did what the commandment of the Lord said, as long as they brought the, the sacrifice, as long as they killed the lamb, or as long as they killed the bullock, it was a sealing, if you will. It, it, it said, as long as you do that, I will roll your sins forward a year. And if at the end of their life they had followed that that old covenant, that old testament, then they could die in an understanding that they were saved, but they were still waiting on one thing left. They didn't understand it then. The prophecies and the prophets tried to tell them, but they were waiting on one crucial part of that covenant. When Jesus died on the cross and that blood began to be shed on that cross, it sealed the Old Testament. Everything that they had done was waiting on that blood to flow and that blood to, 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 to finally write and sign the check of their life that they had been going through. And now they could say, if I, if I could kind of use this, David in his tomb could say, I'm finally saved. I, I, I did everything. I, I had the blood of the goats and the bulls and the lambs, and I did all of that, but I've been waiting for the death of the testator. I've been waiting for the one in whom when that last will and testament. See, you can't do anything with a will and testament until the one that wrote it has died. You don't get the benefits of the will. You don't get the benefits of that testament until the one in whom it belongs to has passed away. That's when Jesus, that, that's why when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's more than just salvation is finished. It's more than just my earthly life is finished. He was writing the end and sealing the salvation of all of those in the Old Testament. It's finished. Abraham, you can rest now. It's done. David, you can rest now. It's done. The three Hebrew children and, 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 and Daniel, it's, it's done. But for you and I, it seals the New Testament. You and I, when we repent and are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and we plug into the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, you and I, we can say it's done. I'm sealed until the day of redemption and when he calls me home. For some of us, it'll be when we take our last breath. Paul said to be absent with the body is to be present with Christ. But I don't know, perhaps for some, it won't be a last breath. It'll be a blast of a trumpet. And the eastern sky will, rise, will, will open up and you and I, those, the Bible says those the dead in Christ will be called up first and those that remain caught up after. There is coming a day when finally he calls us home and when you've received the Holy Ghost, he's telling you if you'll walk with it, if you'll walk in it, when he calls you home, you're sealed. Hebrews says it this way. And I'm going to paraphrase quite a bit. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. 
first covenant had regulations for worship. It had an earthly place of holiness, a tent prepared, a lampstand in the first section, a table in the bread. It's called the holy place. And behind that was a second curtain. And behind the second curtain, a second place called the holy place or the most holy place. There, the altar of incense and the ark of the covenant. It had the urn that held the manna, it had Aaron's staff that butted the tables there of the covenant, there was cherubims of glory that overshadowed the mercy seat and the writer of Hebrews says I don't have time to go through all of that but all of those preparations had been made so that the priests could regularly go into the first part of the tabernacle, they could go where the lampstand and the bread and the table was, they could go to where the, the bronze altar and the bronze labor was and they could go there, they could perform their duties but into that second, that most holy place, only the high priest could go and he only once a year but not without taking blood that he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that was the Old Testament the Bible says though in verse 8 that the Holy Spirit tells us that the way into the holy places was not yet open as long as the first section is still standing and so as long as you had to go through the brazen altar as long as you had to walk through the bronze laver as long as you had to pass by the golden candle stand and pass by the table of showbread as long as that was in your way you did not have unfettered access into the holiest of holies and so because of this you had to make sacrifices and while they may cleanse they could not perfect the Bible says your conscience. They could not completely cleanse you from all sin. It says in verse 10, it only dealt with the food, the drink, the various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The old covenant only was able to deal with the outward signs. But when Christ appeared, when he came, that supreme sacrifice, he came greater and more perfect than anything that Moses ever created. He came and it was not a, 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 a tent that had uh, you know linen and then uh, uh, silk and then linen and then various types of, of of animal skins it was not a tent made by hands but he became a more perfect tent the tent of a body unstained by sin and it wasn't by the blood of goats and calves but the Bible says by means of his own blood and he secured for you and I a return an internal eternal let's say that an eternal redemption and so the writer of Hebrews says in verse 13 if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of blood upon defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, if that sanctifies their flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ through an eternal spirit who offered himself up without blemish purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? And it goes on to say now he mediates a new covenant. Why must I stay near the cross? Because that cross did everything for me. For under the law, things might have been purified with blood. But without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no forgiveness of sin. That's Hebrews 9 and verse 21. 
You could go to Hebrews chapter 10. I don't have enough time to, to go through it all. I don't have enough time to read it verse by verse. But I would take you to, to, to Hebrews chapter 10, and I would remind you that it starts out by saying the law is but a shadow of the good things to come. It's not the true form of these realities. It can, by the, it can never, by the same sacrifices that were continually offered every year, make perfect those who would draw near. Think about it for a moment. If you lived in the Old Testament for 60 years, there was at least 60 sacrifices made for you. And there was a whole lot more. But 61 a year. And they would go through that and, and, and they would, would uh, uh, have to, to do that. It never seemed to be enough. And so the next year, the next time you sinned, you had to walk out to your flock or as they became more city dwellings, they would have to go to a, a place that, that, that raised sheep for this purpose. Can you imagine that poor flock of sheep? We think Thanksgiving is bad for the turkeys. But the sheep, they didn't have a great life if you lived in Jerusalem. Because over and over, you had to make that walk to the sheepfold and pick up a sheep. You had to bring it to the priest, and it cost you something. And it was never enough. It never satisfied. The law was never satisfied. The law craved more and more blood. And as mankind got progressively worse, you'd have to understand more and more would have to be sacrificed. And the law was never satisfied. They could never say, we don't need any more sacrifice. Until the day that Jesus hung himself on a cross. And the Bible says, in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 10, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But if you start in verse 5 and you start reading down, you'll find, but there is a confidence we have that when Christ died on Calvary once and for all, it satisfied the wages of sin. If the Bible says the wages of sin is death, then Christ's death satisfied the wages. It cost him everything. It cost me nothing. And so I have to say, Jesus, keep me near the cross. It, 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 it was free for the Jews, free for the Gentiles. In fact, to quote the word of God, it's for all who are afar off and as many as our Lord our God shall call. He said, I offer it freely. Cross. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It cost him everything. And you and I have got to be careful that we don't get so comfortable in our salvation that we focus only on the love and the relationship we have now and the freedom of access now that the veil has been torn. We've got to be careful. We don't let that be our only focus. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced the more I read the book of Acts and the more I look at how they preach and how they talk, I begin to realize we've got to keep the cross centered in our lives. 
I'm thankful for the healing. I'm thankful for the miracles. I'm thankful for the relationship. I'm thankful for the love. I'm thankful for the redemption. I'm thankful for this, all of that. But I've got to stay near the cross because it's my salvation. I've got to remember every time that my mind tempts me to sin. I've got to remember every time that my life walks in a place unholy and not right with God, I sin. I've got to remember it cost him everything. It cost him everything. It's the old Ray Bolt song that I grew up with. Does he still feel the nails every time I fail? See, I, if I'm not careful, I can get into that easy, cheap grace. Say, ah, thanks for dying. It, you, you died for all the sin of the world. and You died for the sin all the way up until judgment day comes. And so, ah, I messed up today. I slipped today. Ah, thanks, Lord, for your sacrifice. I struggle with the words. I slipped up, and I, I know sometimes even in my sermon I'll make it, and so don't, don't hold me to it, but I do. I struggle with the words, I messed up, I slipped up, because it kind of cheapens the, the punch that sin puts on humanity. No, I failed. I failed. I've sinned and come short of the glory of God. There, in the darkness of, of having to live with that sin, I'm reminded of what it cost him. Would you stand today?